God, we stand in awe of your faithfulness. We stand in awe of your love and of your mercy. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather on a Wednesday night without any hindrance to worship you, to honour you, to lift your name up above this city, above our circumstance, above our families, above our homes. And I pray, Lord God, that over the next few moments as we delve into your Word, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have for us in this service tonight. Father, as always, I, I thank you for this amazing opportunity to preach your Word to these, your amazing people. Have your way. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. And above all else, may your name be glorified. I thank you for what you're about to do in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together. In the overflow, everybody said together. Amen. Hey, can we thank the team for an incredible job? Awesome. You are awesome. You are very awesome. I just like saying awesome. It's an Australian biblical word. And these days I speak Spanish 99.9% .9 of the time. And so I just love saying awesome every time I get to speak English. It's just so good to be here. It's my first time in Miami. And uh, I love it. I love it. Love the heat. Really enjoy the traffic on the way to church. This ain't traffic. You need to come to Buenos Aires. At least here, people respect the road rules. In Buenos Aires, the lines are nothing more than a suggestion. And uh, we, we live in a city of 15 million people, so you can imagine how chaotic the traffic is on a daily basis. You almost lose your Christianity every day on the road. And then you remember when your wife says to you, Pastor Chris, stop insulting that grandmother. It's like, sorry, babe, that Latino passion rises up on the inside of me. But it is so good, so good to be in Miami. I want to thank all the pastoral team and all the board for allowing me to be here. I think it's quite significant for me personally that, you know, I'm here doing something in town uh, the rest of the week. But I loved when we spoke to the guys and they found out I was going to be here that the first time I'm speaking in Miami, that it's at a Hillsong family church. And uh, I love that you guys are part of our family. I love that we're part of your family. And because it's not about our church, it's not about your church, it's about His church. And we believe, we believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are better together. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your leaning to us. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Uh, what we're experiencing in Buenos Aires today, it's the answer to the prayers of thousands across the globe. And on behalf of my wife, Lucy, and I, my wife, Lucy, after salvation, she's the greatest gift God has given me. And uh, if you're single, you need to, Carlos, you need to take notes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. You wore your prophetic blue jumper tonight. So, so we just want to say thank you for the leaning, for the support, uh, all the team always, whenever we connect that at one of our conferences, anywhere in the world, the well-wishers, it's just so significant for us because it's no small thing to move a young family to the other side of the planet where you dare to believe God for great things. 
And so we just want to say thank you. Gracias. Muchas gracias. And so you can be seated. You guys can have a seat. I think you and me, bro, we're in this together. I don't want to get lonely on the stage. So, and I feel more anointed when the keys are playing behind me. But I just wanted to show you some photos. I've got two photos to show. The first one, uh, this is our church in Buenos Aires. And so this is awesome. This we've been doing, we moved a year ago. A week ago, we celebrated one year of living in Buenos Aires. And we've been doing church for six and a half months. And we currently have three services on a Sunday in this amazing theater. Saturday nights, this theater is one of the biggest and most renowned clubs in Argentina. And it's not just a normal club. The type of club it is, I can't say in church. And uh, I love that we get hold of that venue at 8 a.m., 7.38 a.m. on a Sunday morning. We transform it into church. And literally, people who left the club earlier that day come back that night and give their hearts to Jesus. That's pretty awesome. So what's happening, and I just wanted to show you that because this is what you guys are a part of as you're connected to the Hillsong family. But I wanted to show you my greatest congregation. It's my family. And so on the right, oh, I just got a bit emotional seeing my family. I've been traveling the last five weeks a lot. I've been in and out of home. So just a little bit missing my family. Uh, on the right is my eldest daughter, Celeste. She's about to turn 15. I can't believe I have a 15 year old girl. And then, and then my other daughter, Eliana, she's about to turn 13. Two female teenagers under the same roof. How many of you know every morning I wake up, I look to heaven and I go, God, grace, grace. I need more grace. Um, I'm putting the fear of the Lord into every young man in our congregation, letting them know that I have two shotguns. And anyone who dares come and ask my daughters out to the movies, for a hot chocolate because they're too young to drink coffee, that I have no reservations in using my two friends. And then in the middle, in, in the middle is the little earthquake of a boy that God has blessed us with. His name is Sebastian and he's wearing some of his J's there. He has an incredible J's collection and I'm believing God to leave Miami with, to add to that collection. And uh, Sebastian's eight years old and uh, he's an incredible young man. He definitely needs Jesus. And, uh, but it's awesome. Just, just uh, last week, because I've been away a lot, God was home for three days and, and I just planned something fun for him and I to do together. So we went to Rio for two days. It's an hour and a half away from Buenos Aires. It would be sinful not to go during the Olympics. And we're, we're sitting in the back of a car as a friend of, us, of ours is driving us around. And out of the blue, he just says to me, hey, daddy, or papi, because he calls me papi. And uh, he goes, papi, when you retire, and I'm like, dude, I'm 38 years old. He goes, no, 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 but you've got to retire one day. Because when you retire, do you think I could take on Hillsong Church in Buenos Aires? And I'm like, after you have a professional football career, make lots of money and fund my retirement. And uh, he's an incredible young guy. And then there is the most beautiful woman on the planet, Luciana Mendes, who stole my heart many years ago. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage. And uh, if we could make it this far, I'm convinced anyone can. 
I think some of your pastors just celebrated 31 years of marriage. So can you stand up? These guys are heroes. 31 years. 31 years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can take those photos down. I've also got with me traveling a good friend of mine, part of our team, Lucas. He doesn't speak much English. Lucas is a great blessing, him and his wife. And it's just such an honor to be here. And uh, I love that on a Wednesday night, there's overflow in church. There's a sign of a healthy church. And uh, pretty awesome. And if you're in the overflow, I want to hear you shout me down. And, um, you know, I, I, I haven't preached in English for a bit. I just spent the last week preaching about 12 to 13 times in Spanish. So if a little bit of Spanish flows out and you don't speak Spanish, can I just say, thank me later because I'm getting you ready for heaven. Because we all know the language of heaven is Spanish. If, if you want to... <laughs> Flesh and blood has not revealed this to me, but my Father who is in heaven. And if you want to get a glimpse of heaven, I want to invite you to come on Sunday at 5 p.m. to the Spanish service. Because if you can't worship in Spanish on earth, you're going to have a difficult time worshiping for eternity in Spanish in heaven. Amen. Are you ready for the Word of God? I, I, just, want to, I just want to stir some faith tonight. I'm, I'm a simple preacher. I believe we often complicate the gospel we complicate our faith and I like to just simplify um, the way I the way I speak and I just want to stir your faith tonight I was telling the guys in the car on the way over I just I just really feel that God wants me to speak something simple and just stir the faith uh, of the people of Calvary and just let you know that your best days are ahead of you and I want to stir your faith I want to enlarge your expectation because what you've seen as a church thus far is nothing compared to what God is about to unleash in this place. Somebody got faith for that? Say amen. And so tonight I want us to go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. But before we read the text that we're about to look at together, I want to give you a little bit of, of history and context. We know for those of us who maybe have walked with the Lord for, for a small amount of time, that in Genesis chapter 12, God called an, a man by the name of Abram. Together with his wife, God speaks to this man and says, hey, I want you to grab all your belongings. I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to leave what you know, and I want you to move to Buenos Aires, Argentina. I want you to step out of the comfortable and into the uncomfortable. He says to Abram, oh, and this is what's crazy. This is crazy. He says to Abram, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. How unfair is that? Doesn't even tell him where to go. Basically says, hey, when you get there, you'll know. And I've come to realize that God will often give you a direction without any detail. And it requires our faith as we step out in obedience to work out the detail along the way. God says to Abram, I want you to go to a place I will show you. And then He loads him up with a whole bunch of promises. You're going to be a father of many nations. Your generations are going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. So His command is attached to a whole bunch of promises. And Abram, 
He grabs his wife, Sarai. They gather some of their belongings, a few relatives, and they begin this journey. They begin this journey to find the place where God wants them to be. He's gone with a promise that he's going to have a child. He's gone full of hope, full of expectation, believing God to be faithful to that which He commanded, believing God to fulfil that which He promised. But many years go by. See, in, in the way I see Scripture and the way I would say it should be, if you receive this promise in chapter 12, I would want it to come to pass in chapter 13, straight away. We're the instant generation. We want things straight away. We go to McDonald's, they tell you it's going to be a five minute wait on your burger and we get frustrated. And we forget the fact that if we were to cook it at home, it'll probably take us 25 minutes. So we've saved 20 minutes anyway. We want everything instantly, but it doesn't happen that way. Abram begins this journey and years go by, his body's getting older. His wife isn't looking the way she used to look. The promise hasn't happened and Abram begins to question God. Not only does he question God, he begins to question himself. Did I hear right? Am I able to play my part in that which God has promised? He's looking at his aging body. He's looking at things not working, maybe the way they used to work. Some of you will catch that later. And uh, there's no healthcare back then. And uh, no assistance given. And anyway, he's, he's realising that maybe I got it wrong. Maybe we left everything and maybe it wasn't the way I heard it was going to be. Not only that, during this time of doubt and questioning, he doesn't hear from God over many years. It's as if God has gone silent at the most crucial time. See, we're about to delve into Genesis 15. We see it as three chapters, but years have gone by. And when you study context and you study history, you realise that God hasn't, God hasn't spoken to Abram for a period of time. And it's in that period of time that he begins to question, that he begins to doubt. And God shows up again to speak life, to speak hope, to remind him of the promise that was spoken years ago. And although they're yet to see it, that God is able to do that which is yet to see. And in Genesis 15, this is what He speaks. He says, After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but if you haven't heard from God for a while, how many of you know that it's phenomenal news? The moment God speaks to you again for Him to say, Do not be afraid says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? What will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. How dare Abram question God? Reminding him of what he is yet to do. And God says to Abram, says to him, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir. In other words, Abe, it's not going to be how you think it's going to be. It's, gonna turn, it's not going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. Just breathe, relax. I've got it all under control. Eliezer will not be your heir. He says to him, But one who will come from your own body 
shall be your heir. Verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, speaking of Abram, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. I love that Abram was declared righteous because of how he believed and not because of anything he did. It is a picture of New Testament grace in the Old Testament. We are declared righteous because of right believing, not because of right doing. Because he believed it was accounted to him as righteousness. I love verse 5 in the message translation. The Bible says, Then He took him outside and said, Look at the sky, count the stars. Can you do it? Can you do it? Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family. And this is where the Latino race was born. <laughs> You're going to have a big familia, Abram. Then He took him outside and said, Look at the sky, count the stars. Can you do it? I believe the underlining message that God is speaking to Abram is, hey, I know you can't, but be at ease because what you are not able to do, I am able to do. He took him outside. Outside of where? Outside of what? When you understand Bible times, you would understand that when people went on pilgrimage, when people went on a journey from point A to point B, when they packed all the belongings, they'd pack a big tent so they would have shelter at night. And this conversation is happening inside of Abram's tent. All Abram can see inside of his tent is his current circumstance. All he can see is what hasn't happened, the answer that hasn't come, the breakthrough that hasn't taken place, the prayer that hasn't been answered, the promise that wasn't fulfilled. All he can see is his aging wife, his aging body. The tent is so big that they have all of their belongings. And Eliezer, one of his servants, is sleeping at the back of the tent. And that's all he can see. And God shows up and says, Hey, Abram, I'm your, your shield and your great reward. And Abram inside of the tent says, But you haven't given me a child. And Eliezer, our servant, is going to be the heir. And God takes him outside because Abram needed a change in perspective, because Abram needed to get his eyes off his circumstance. And God says to him, look at the sky, count the stars. Can you do it? I know you can't Abe, but it's okay. You need to know that I am able to do that which you cannot do. But for you to believe that I am able, you need to step out of your current circumstance and focus once again on that which I've promised. I've titled this message tonight, Step Out, Look Up and Believe. There are so many of us in this room that all we're focused on is what's in our tent. All we're focused on is what hasn't happened, the answer that hasn't come, the breakthrough that hasn't taken place. All we're focused on is our circumstance. And I believe God wants to encourage people tonight to step out of your tent, to get your eyes off your circumstance, to get your eyes off your challenge, to dare to believe Him again. 
I want to dare some of you, challenge some of you, when you go home tonight, to walk out your front door, step on the porch or the balcony of your apartment or in the middle of your street, to look heavenwards, to begin to count the stars. And as you do, to be reminded that God is faithful, that God is able, that God is true to His Word. I believe when Abram stepped out, he tried to count the stars. He started uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez, once, doce, trece, catorce, quince, dieciséis, siete, dieciocho, nueve, veinte. He's like, God, there's too many. And God's like, yeah, I know. So shall your descendants be. And I believe God will always allow us to get to a place where we'll put our hands in the air. Like, I can't do it. God's like, I've got you right where I want you because I'm able to do through you what you cannot do on your own. But we must make a continuous decision to step out of the tent, to look up and to believe. There's another story in the Bible that It's just fascinating the account that takes place between God and this young man called Jeremiah. Jeremiah in chapter one of that book is called by God in a time where the nation of Israel is in rebellion. They're disconnected from God and disconnected from one another. God basically gets tired of seeing His people living the way they're living. He wants to do something fresh. He wants to do something new. He's bringing order. He's bringing structure. He wants to speak a fresh word into His people and He calls a young man. He calls this young man and speaks purpose, speaks calling, speaks destiny, speaks future over him. And Jeremiah responds and I want us to look at this account because Jeremiah has to get his his eyes off what he sees and put his eyes on that which God is saying. And in Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 to 12 let's look at we're going to see the account of the calling of this young man called Jeremiah the Bible says Jeremiah is speaking and I want us to put ourselves in his sandals tonight it's as if God is speaking to us the Bible says the word of the Lord came to me saying before I formed you in the womb I knew you (laughs) that fires me up before I formed you I knew you it leads me to believe beyond the shadow of a doubt whether you're in this room or whether you're in the overflow, that not one person in this house tonight is on this planet by accident or by chance. Because before you were formed, God knew you. Friend, you need to know that you were never your parents' idea. You were always heaven's idea. Regardless of what's been spoken over you, Regardless of you being told, oh, you were an accident, you were never in our plans. You may not have been in your parents' plans, but you were always in God's plans. Because before you were formed, He knew you. He knew you. And the Bible goes on and says, before you were born, I sanctified you, set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, here's Jeremiah's part in the conversation. And this is how we often respond when God is calling us to greater things, to better things, to bigger things, to a new season, to be used by Him in a way we never thought possible. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God. 
Estás loco. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. He offers God an excuse. He offers God a reason why not. And I love that God basically ignores Jeremiah's response. It says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall, you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the Word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my Word. I am ready to perform my Word. And out of this passage of Scripture, along with the account of Abram, I want to ask you three questions tonight. Three questions that are going to cause you to do a stock take of your faith. Do a stock take of your heart. Do a stock take of where you currently are and where you believe to be going in God. The first question is exactly the same question God asked Jeremiah after He called him, after He spoke purpose and destiny and future. In verse 11, after He gives Jeremiah a picture of what He's wanting to do within the nation of Israel, He asked him a question, what do you see? And it's the first question I wanna ask you tonight. What do you see? What do you see when it comes to your future? What do you see when it comes to your marriage? What do you see when it comes to your finances? What do you see when it comes to your relationships, your career, your endeavours? What do you see when it comes to your church? What do you see? Are you focused on what's inside of the tent? Or have you got faith again to look up at the stars and see that which God has promised? What is limiting your sight? What is it you see? God was showing Abram the promise that he had forgotten. God was showing Jeremiah that which he was about to do. And often we don't align what we see with that which God is showing us. You know, everyone in this room, I would say, has sight. But not everyone in this room has vision. And there's a great difference there's a great difference. You're going to live a limited life when you live by sight. That's what the Bible says. We live by faith and not by sight. See, sight, friend, will always focus on the circumstance, but vision will always focus on the promise. Sight will always focus on the temporal, but vision will always focus on the eternal. Your sight will focus on where you're at today, but vision will have you focus on where you're going in God. But the question is, what do you see? What do you see? Before we move to Buenos Aires, back in Sydney, there's a huge, not huge, but there's a large Latino population in Sydney and many Latinos in our church. 
And when we announced that we were moving to Buenos Aires, many, I rebuke that clock in Jesus' name. When we, I bind it and I limit it in Jesus' name. Actually, I was told to take as much time as I want. So, so I hope you're ready to be here till at least midnight. So, if Paul could preach all night, <laughs> no, no, 11.59 will be done. But before we moved, I had many Latinos. You know, Latinos, we're so good at being negative sometimes. <laughs> many Latinos are, Chris, Lucy, are you sure you want to move to Buenos Aires? Have you prayed about it? Oh, hang on a second. We're moving our family to the other side of the world. No, we haven't consulted God on the matter. Estupido. Are you sure you want to take your kids from what is first world to the third world? Are you sure you want to take your kids from a politically stable nation to a nation that's never had political stability? Are you sure you want to move your family from a place where your kids can walk down the street at any time of night to a place where once the sun goes down, you don't dare walk out outside? Are you sure you want to take your kids to a place where education has so much opportunity to a place where the education is limited? And so many well-meaning believers would come up to us and speak all this negativity over us. And I remember grabbing my wife one day because it was starting to affect us. And I said, babe, we need to make sure that we keep at the forefront of what we see, the vision that God has given us. Because it doesn't matter whether you live in Sydney, Australia. It doesn't matter where you live, whether you live in Miami, the United States, or whether you live in Buenos Aires, Argentina. The safest place you can be is dead center in the will of God, in the purpose of God for your life. And we need to make a decision. Hear me now. We need to make a decision that our vision will not be limited by someone else's sight. What do you see? What do you see for your future? I love riding, riding motorbikes. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that Harley Davidson's are a heaven's, heaven's idea. I see Jesus riding a chopper down the golden path roads of heaven. And I can't wait to get there and ride beside Him. And when I was learning to ride a motorcycle, those of you who ride will know they teach you when you're turning a corner, don't focus on the wheel, on the front wheel. Lift your eyes, see through the corner and without even realising your body will lean and the motorcycle will end up to the place you're focusing on. So many Christians live their lives focusing on the front wheel because they don't see past the corners of life. They don't see past the circumstance. They can't step out of the tent. But I believe if you can align what you see with that which God sees for your life, your faith is going to lean into that place where God is taking you. And before you realise it, you will reach your destination. You will fulfil your destiny. You will step into all that God has for you. But the question is, what do you see? We need to see bigger. We need to see greater. 
we need to see that which God sees. The second question I want to ask you is found in verse 7 and 9 of Jeremiah 1. After God calls him and says to him, I've ordained you before you were born. I knew you. Jeremiah responds, Oh Lord, I cannot speak for I am a youth. And God says to him, Hey Jerry, take it easy. Take it easy, buddy. Because you're not the one who's going to speak. I know you can't, but it's okay. I'm going to speak through you. The Bible says that God said, whatever you, I command you, you shall speak. And then it says, the Lord put His words in my mouth, Jeremiah speaking. Second question I want to ask you, friend, is what are you speaking? What are you speaking? I love looking across this crowd because it's a picture of the kingdom. People from all cultures, people from all backgrounds. I speak English in its purest form with an Australian accent. And because I'm one of God's favorites, I also speak Spanish in the purest form with an Argentine accent. Some of us are just blessed. But here's the thing. We may have different accents, but we need to make sure we speak the same language. And I'm not speaking about English or Spanish. The kingdom of God has a language. It's a language of hope. It's a language of purpose. It's a language of life. It's a language of promise. It's a language of destiny. It's a language that speaks the solution and not the problem. It's a language of encouragement. What is it you're speaking? What are you speaking? God says to Jeremiah, you're going to speak my word. I'm going to touch your mouth and you're going to speak what I command you. And it's so sad that all across the globe, so many people of faith speak the language of the world and not the language of the kingdom. What are you speaking? You need to understand, friends. As the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Are you speaking life over your future? Are you speaking life over your church? Are you speaking life over your leaders? Are you speaking life over your spouse? Are you speaking life over your children? What is it you're speaking? Don't align your confession with that which the media declares. Don't align your confession with that which your circumstance declares. Don't allow, align your confession with that which others are speaking. Don't allow other people's declaration to determine your confession. What are you speaking? There is power in your mouth to shape your future. Because the Word of God in your mouth is just as powerful as the Word of God in His mouth. In Genesis chapter 1, I want you to follow me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, Then God said. Verse 6, Then God said. Verse 9, then God said. Verse 11, then God said. Verse 14, then God said. Verse 20, then God said. Verse 24, then God said. Verse 26, then God said. Verse 29, and God said. Verse 31, then God saw. What is it God saw? Everything He had said. What will you step into tomorrow because of the words you declare today? What are you speaking? We need to make sure we align our confession with the language of the kingdom. A common point, a common denominator in all conversations in Argentina is negativity, complaint. You step in a taxi 
and you start a conversation with a taxi driver in Buenos Aires about how bad the government is, how bad the economy is. You try to talk about anything else and they will always bring it back to the same point of conversation. And my wife had made a decision. My wife and I have made a decision. Whenever we step into a taxi, all we're going to tell the taxi driver is how Argentina is living in days of its best opportunities. Then how our best days are ahead of us. How there's hope amongst the people. How there's life amongst the people. Because we want to change the atmosphere of our nation with the words that we speak. What is it you're speaking? What are you speaking over your wife? Are oh, you never change? He's such a pain. What is it you're speaking over your husband? Tell him he's the best looking thing on this planet. Tell him he's got muscles in places other people don't even have places. Tell him you're so grateful. But you are, but I'm lying. No, no, the Bible says to call that which is not as though it is. You're speaking in faith. What are you speaking? <laughs> Because people will become that which you declare over them. In Genesis chapter 2, this is fascinating. After God created all the animals, God says it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. He goes on to create all the animals. You would think after God says it's not good for man to be alone, that the first thing he would create after that statement is the greatest of all creations, the female species. Ladies, that was your opportunity to say amen. Come on. <laughs> Making me work hard tonight. You would think that after he says it's not good for man to be alone, the first thing that would happen, he'd put Adam to sleep, take out his rib and create Eve. No, no, he creates all the animals. And he says to Adam, whatever you name them, they will become. And after he names all the animals, he's put to sleep and woman is created. Because I believe God was teaching Adam, you know how you just spoke and named all these species? Whatever you speak over this woman I'm giving you, she will become. What are you speaking over your spouse? One of the greatest pieces of advice I was given many, many years ago was Chris, your wife's destiny is not only in God's hands, it's also in your hands. Make sure you honour her with your words. You speak life over her. And whatever you speak over her, she will become. And that principle applies to every area of our life. Friend, what I get to do today is the result of what I spoke over my life 15 years ago and declared the purposes of God, declared the promise of God. I'll never forget when I turned 30, Eight years ago, I stood in front of the mirror the morning of my 18th, my 30th birthday. 18, that was a long time ago. <laughs> what I'd give to go back there. Stood in front of the mirror on the morning of my 30th birthday and I started to prophesy over myself. Started to prophesy over the next decade what I believed to see in my life by the time I turned 40. Can I say to you before God, that everything I prophesied over myself by the age of 36, I'd seen everything come to pass. 
What are you speaking over your future? What are you speaking over Calvary Church? Are you declaring our best days are ahead of us? Our most fruitful days are ahead of us? Our most prosperous days are ahead of us? The days where we see most salvations are ahead of us? The days where we able to build new buildings and reach more people and extend the Kingdom of God? Those days are ahead of us. What is it you're speaking? What do you see? What do you speak? And then the final question I want to ask you. It's found in verse 12 of Jeremiah chapter 1 when God shows Jeremiah a vision and he says to him, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. God says to him, you have seen well, for I am ready. (laughs) I am ready to perform my word. I am ready to perform my word my word so if God declares I am ready to perform my word it leads me to ask you number three what are you expecting what are you expecting if he's ready to perform it are you expecting him to are you expecting him to show up in the midst of that crisis are you expecting him to heal your heart in the midst of that pain Are you expecting Him to provide in the midst of your need? What are you expecting? Because I believe the Word of the Lord is for Calvary tonight. I am ready to perform my Word. But it's time for you to step out, to look up and to dare to believe again. What are you expecting? A few years ago, I was preaching in Indonesia. (laughs) And my son, who at the time was five, He's fanatical about aeroplanes, loves them, has a huge collection, cost me a fortune. Every time I travel, I buy him a model aeroplane. And he found out we're going to Indonesia because I was taking the family. After I finished in the main city in Jakarta, we're going to go to Bali, which is paradise for five days holidays, just rest time. So he was excited about going on a plane and the day of the trip came and he woke up at 5 a.m. on his own. Now, how many of you know for a Latino, until 11 a.m. and three cups of coffee, not even God is awake. And he dresses himself, puts his backpack on, runs into the room and goes, Mommy, Papi, are we going to go to the airport now? 5 a.m. I'm like, son, we're traveling at four o'clock this afternoon. Go back to bed. He didn't go back to bed. He went to the living room and sat on the couch waited for us to get up and all get ready. It's very cute, very cute. I wanted to slap him, but it was very cute. (laughs) Then the moment comes where our friends later that day pick us up to go to the airport. I've never seen someone so joyous to sit in traffic for an hour and a half. (laughs) We get to the airport, we check in. And as soon as we check in, he's like, puppy, puppy, are we going to the plane now? So no, buddy, we've got about two hour wait. Let's go to the lounge. We go to the lounge and every announcement that came through the speakers of the flights that were ready for boarding, he said, Papi, Papi, is that our flight? It was like, son, you speak English. We're going to Jakarta. That flight is going to Los Angeles. The next announcement, Papi, Papi, I'm like, no. The moment comes where our flight is announced. I'm like, Seba, it's time. He jumped to his feet, grabbed me by the hand. We literally ran out of that lounge. We ran to the gate. And because I had my young family with me, we were one of the first to board the plane. 
We step onto that plane. My five-year-old son at the time, wide-eyed, just opened. He's like, he's holding my hands and he walks in and he sits down and he begins to describe everything. It's like, oh, look, Daddy, the seats are red. I'm like, yeah, that's Qantas's colours. It's like, oh, look, Daddy, their uniforms are blue. Yeah, buddy, also Qantas's colours. Oh, look, Daddy, there's the toilet. Very important for you to know, son. <laughs> looks, looks out the window. Look, Daddy, there's the wing. I know. Look, Daddy, there's the door. We just walked in through it, mate. The plane begins to move. He's like, Daddy, we're moving. I'm like, I know. We take off. He's like, Daddy, we're flying. I know. Seven hours all the way to Jakarta. He described every movement, everything that happened on that plane, what the people around us were doing. We arrive in Jakarta. I preach all weekend about nine times. Monday morning comes. He knows we're flying to Bali. Same thing happens. Wakes up early, runs into the main room of the hotel we're staying at, where we was like, Daddy, Daddy's like, son, it's later on. I'm absolutely wasted from preaching so many times. The moment comes, we go to the airport, we check in and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, we go into the plane. No, buddy, we, two hours, let's go to the lounge. We're in the lounge and the announcements that come over, he's like, Daddy, is that our flight? He's like, I don't know, I don't speak Indonesian, mate. <laughs> the moment comes where a lady comes to speak to us, says, hey, you need to board your flight. They just called it. We go to the gate once again because of the young family. We, one of the first to board. He's holding my hand and he's describing everything again. We sit down. He's like, Daddy, the seats are green. Yes, son, Garuda, Indonesia's colours. I look, Daddy, their uniforms are green too. They're matching the seats. I'm like, yes, I don't like it. It's ugly, but that's what it is. Because look, Daddy, there's the toilet. Once again, very important for you to know. The plane begins to move. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, we're moving. And by this time, I've had enough. I've preached nine weekends. I've served the Lord wholeheartedly. Man of God, preach faith. People got saved. All I want to do is sleep on this flight before I get to Bali so I can enjoy the beach later that afternoon. And I'm like, Seba, shut up. Or go sit with your mother. But he can't move because the plane's moving. And so we take off and we're in there. And he's like, puppy, puppy, we're flying. And I've had enough. I want to strangle him. And I go to him, Seba, I know you love aeroplanes. I know you're passionate about planes, but it's not as if this is the first time you've travelled. We were actually on a plane on Friday, but you've travelled before. Why are you still so excited? And he looks me in the eyes with his big brown eyes, puppy dog eyes, I hate it. And he's like, puppy, I know I've been on other aeroplanes. I know this isn't my first time on a plane that I've travelled on other planes. He says, but I've never been on this one. And God speaks to me, slaps me right in the face and says, Chris, are you excited like your son is for being on a new plane? When you step into every new day with me, or have you become familiar with my presence? And I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I hug my son. I love him. And I say all that to say this. You may have been in 500 church services before this one, but you've never been in this one. 
You may have lived thousands of days, but you've never lived this one. And you've never lived the day of tomorrow. You may have had so many experiences, worship God so many times, but you've never worshipped Him like we have on this day and on this night. Have you become familiar? Or are you still expecting God to perform in your life that which He has spoken, that which He has promised, that which He has declared? Friend, what do you see? What are you speaking? What are you expecting? Because the Word of the Lord is, I am ready to fulfill my promise. I am ready to perform my Word. I am ready to take you places you've never been, to show you things you've never seen, to do you that which you have never experienced do not become familiar with my presence what are you expecting Calvary I want to encourage you challenge you I want to implore you not to stay in the tent your best days are not behind you your best days are in front of you step out look up and believe because God is not a man that he shall lie God is not a son of man that he shall repent if he said it will he not do it if he promised it will he not fulfill it step out and dare to count the stars come on would you worship him wonder friend if you're here tonight in this main auditorium or in the overflow I wonder if you know God I'm not asking you if you know about him I can show you pictures like I did of my wife and my family and I can tell you about them but I know them because I live in relationship with them on a daily basis God is not a God who wants you to know about him he wants you to know him for yourself why because he's a God of relationship so many people, when they hear someone speak of God or mention the name Jesus, automatically they think about religion, tradition, rules and regulations. But the God we're speaking about, the God we're singing to, He's not a God of religion. He's not a God of tradition. He's not a God of rules and regulations. He's a God of relationship. Why? Because He's a God of love and He loves you. He's crazy about you. And tonight in this place, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been or what you've done. You may be thinking, oh, how can God love me, Chris? You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the mess of my life. Friend, speaking to you is an ex-drug addict who on his third overdose at the age of 20, when he thought his final moment had come, cried out to God because a friend spoke to him three months earlier about a man that set her free from her heroin addiction. And she said, if he can set me free, he can set you free. This man's name is Jesus. 
And that leads me to believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that if God could reach me in the bathroom of a nightclub as I cried out to Him, you need to understand God isn't looking for the perfect context to reach people. He's looking out for hearts that cry out to Him. So tonight, friend, it doesn't matter what your past is like. You need to understand and know and believe that your mess is not greater than God's mercy. That your past mistakes are not more powerful than His grace. He loves you. He is for you. And if you don't know what it's like to walk in relationship with Him, I'd love to pray a simple but powerful prayer that takes your hand and connects it to the hand of God tonight. doesn't matter who you are. He accepts you just the way you are. Religion says you must change to be accepted, but grace says come as you are. Because what Jesus did on the cross was more than enough for you to come to God just as you are. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that an imperfect humanity could come close to a very perfect God. With every eye closed and every head bowed. If you know tonight, you need to say yes to Jesus, open up your heart to Him, begin a relationship with Him. I love to pray for you right where you are. Or maybe at one point you said, yes, you prayed, but you turned your back on Him. The good news for you is He never turned His back on you. And He's in this place tonight with His arms wide open, waiting for you to come back to Him. So whether you're in the overflow or in the main auditorium, if you know you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, or if you're backsliding in your heart and you wanna reconnect with Him, I wanna include you in this prayer with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you would say, Chris, Include me in this prayer. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus or I want to reconnect with Him because I drifted away with nobody looking around. If that's you right where you're standing in both locations, would you just raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it so I can see who I'm praying for? Praise God for the many, many hands that are going up in this main auditorium. I have faith that the same thing is happening in the overflow. Just wave your hand in the air because we're going to pray for you right now. And I want to make sure I see every single person that I'm including in this prayer. Thank you, Jesus. If you're yet to respond, but you know you need to, would you raise your hand and join these amazing people? You're not on your own, friend. Don't leave for tomorrow what God wants to do in you right here, right now. He loves you just the way you are in your overflow. Raise your hands and join these amazing people. Praise God. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer. And because church isn't a crowd, it's a family. Everyone's going to say this prayer with you. If you raised your hand, say it from the depths of your heart. Let's pray out aloud together by saying, Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I open up my heart to you and surrender ownership of my life. Forgive me for all my sin. Wipe away my past and give me a brand new start. I declare you my Lord and Saviour and ask that you'd guide me and lead me in living a life that honours you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate these amazing people? Praise God for each and every one of you. <laughs>